Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Crippen, and I'm the founder and lead instructor at the FLA. In this episode, we'll have part two of our archival interview with Hall of Fame defensive end Gina Marchetti. This was from an interview that I did back in 2014 for an article that I wrote for National Football Post. In the last episode of this podcast, Marchetti talked about his time serving during World War II as well as his time in college. Today we'll focus on his professional career. But first we have our Pro Football History Nugget of the Week, which will feature the 1952 Dallas Texans, the team that Marchetti first joined as a professional. This will help give context to Marchetti's upcoming comments on the team. First, we need to talk about the New York Yanks. The Yanks were not a very good team going 1-9-2 in 1951, their final season in New York. Before the 1952 season, the Yanks were sold back to the league after failing to keep their head above water financially. The assets were then purchased for $300,000 by Giles Miller and a consortium of businessmen and moved from the Big Apple to Dallas to become the Dallas Texans. Now, the fresh start didn't help as the 1952 Dallas Texans were one of the worst teams in NFL history, going 1-11 that sole season, with their only win coming against the Chicago Bears in the 10th week of the season. Now, keep in mind that the Bears rested most of their starters that day, thinking that it would be an easy win. Head coach George Hallis put his starters back in at the start of the fourth quarter while they were losing, but it was not enough to get the victory. The Texans won 27-23. Even though the team had a bad record, they did have some talent on the squad. Marchetti and another future Hall of Famer, Art Donovan, were on the defensive line. And on the offensive side of the ball, George Taliaferro and Buddy Young were the halfbacks. But head coach Jimmy Fallon just didn't know how to get the team to gel on either side of the ball, and that was due to the fact that he really did not get the team to practice. Hell, there were times when Fallon didn't even show up to practice. Phelan was not Miller's choice for coach, but he was forced to retain the Yanks' head coach for his team by league commissioner Burt Bell. Players have talked about how disorganized the team was not only in practice, but on game day. In the interview you're about to hear, Marchetti talks about that. Things got so bad for the Texans, the franchise was returned to the league after the seventh game of the season. According to the NFL, it was for, and I quote, guilty acts detrimental to the National Football League. The franchise of the Dallas Texans football club is hereby canceled and forfeited, end quote. They moved to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and the team played strictly road games for the rest of the year. After the season, the players and assets of the defunct Dallas Texans were purchased by Carol Rosenblum and formed the Baltimore Colts. Only 12 of the players from the Texans remained with the squad when it was relocated to Baltimore. And keep in mind, this is not to be confused with the Baltimore Colts of the All-America Football Conference, who were brought into the NFL in 1950 along with the Cleveland Browns and the San Francisco 49ers. There is no connection between the Duke Baltimore Colts franchises outside of the name. 
Before we get to the interview, let's take a step back and talk about Marchetti's professional career. He was drafted by the Dallas Texans 14th overall in the 1952 NFL Draft. In those days, it was the first pick in the second round as there were only 12 teams in the league at the time, and the Los Angeles Rams had two picks in the first round that year. To give you an idea of the strength of that draft, there were four future Hall of Famers selected in the first round. Les Richter went to the Dallas Texans, Ali Matson to the Chicago Cardinals, Hugh McElhenney went to the San Francisco 49ers, and Frank Gifford went to the New York Giants. After Marchetti was selected, there were two more Hall of Famers taken, Bobby Dillon and Yale Larry, both going in the third round. Billy Houghton's name comes up in some Hall of Fame discussions, and he was taken with the pick immediately after Marchetti. And Joe Fortunato's name also gets mentioned occasionally, and he was taken in the seventh round. After the 1952 season with the Dallas Texans, Marchetti played the remainder of his career with the Baltimore Colts, finally retiring after the 1966 season and going to 11 Pro Bowls over his career. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1972. Now let's get to our conversation with Hall of Fame defensive end Gino Marchetti. I started by asking him if he had thoughts of playing professional football while he was with the University of San Francisco. No, no, no. I never, I never had a thought of when the 49ers were playing in, uh, in Kizar Stadium. That was our stadium. We used to walk over and watch him practice and play. And I had absolutely, because I wasn't that big, really. Uh, I was uh, six four, six five. That was tall enough. Uh, but I only weighed two fifteen. Okay. But, but uh, yeah, I was. I was the thing I had going for me at that time, which the coach there brought it all out on me. I had the desire. That's for damn sure. And I was awfully fast. I was awfully quick. Mm-hmm. And and pretty strong. You know, for for. Uh, a guy that weighed that, you know, the 210 or 215 or whatever, whatever it was. So, uh, uh, I, just, I, was, I was staying there, man. Mm-hmm. Now, you went from the undefeated team in San Francisco to playing with the Dallas Texans in 52. Um, what kind of an experience was it like playing with a, a team like that that uh, essentially uh, couldn't support itself and uh, ended up playing on the road at the end of the year? so excited about going to a professional camp and I went to the most disorganized camp in the world. Professional football. 
outer block, the right way of position of your feet, right position of your of your hands, and uh, your back is straight. And yeah, we had to write all that down. He'd get there and preach, and we had to write it all down, or otherwise we wouldn't get Sunday off. He had he took our notebooks, and we had to bring it in and uh, and uh, show him that we could, took all the notes he could, and he let you go. To town, or you know, do what you wanted to do. He'd give you the day off, and, uh, and that was a shock. Yeah, because I, you know, I, I can remember telling Faso, you know, Faso, if I did this much right, right in at USF, I would have graduated. You know, <laughs> and, well, it's well, the truth. You know, that's uh, you know, when we when we was uh, uh, organized to the T. Uh, I went down, I went in that room, and uh, 
just what she was said. You know, Carol, it's a great honor, and uh, you know, I, I appreciate it very much and everything. But I can't, I can't take the job under these conditions. And he says, "What do you mean?" He says, "If I'm going to take the job or the job, say you offer me the job, I cannot do it unless I notified the coastal, I mean, the Detroit's position." Mm -hmm. What's their position with you? They're going to keep you and do what they care. But most, most owners, the coaches or line coaches or whoever, moved to different teams at that time. You know, they wouldn't stay away from them getting a promotion. So, uh, uh, and, and, she, and uh, that kind of hurt Carol because she's not used to guys. to take a quick break and then get back to our interview with Hall of Fame defensive end Gino Marchetti. If you're enjoying this archival interview with Gino Marchetti, make sure you visit the FLA website at www.football-learning-academy.com. There you'll find more archival interviews such as Don Shula, Mercury Morris, Ken Riley, and Maxie Vaughn. We also have a variety of other interviews such as Amy Trask, the first female CEO of an NFL franchise, Broadcasting and sports writing legend Leslie Visser teaches a mini master class on interviewing. Nolan Harrison, a former player and currently a senior director at the NFL Players Association. Shannon Easton, the first female on-field official in NFL history and many more. To get access to these interviews, classes on the history of the game, a blog, and much more, go to our website, football-learning-academy.com. We're back to continue our archival interview with Hall of Famer Gino Marchetti. In this segment, we'll continue the conversation of his professional football career. I started by asking him about the switch from defensive end to offensive tackle his first year with the Baltimore Colts. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. I know in 55 they had asked you to play offensive tackle. Had you played that position before? I started one year uh, in Baltimore my first year, 1953, uh, I think, uh, under Molesworth. And, and uh, 
position and uh, and I played it they uh, said pretty well and he had planned on me playing the following year but he got fired then Weep come in and then uh, Weep see, seen some films that, that I played I don't know where he's seen them I've never seen them yeah, yeah. he said well you're going to be the defensive end you're going to go and play you know I'm putting you third on the on death Jesus, thank you a lot. So he put me there, and uh, and I felt so good there that I, I, I don't know if he'd asked me to go back there if I would have. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, that, that was a, because, I, you know, it, it, tackle I would have been small, uh, but defensive end, I, I, I was small, but I, big guys never worried me, and that uh, I was very quick, agile. And the year I played defense uh, helped me uh, to become uh, a, a better defensive end the, the following year. I played a year of offense, and what I did, you know, when, when I had to go play defense, I, I mean, when I had to play offense, I would think about all the guys that I blocked against and the guys that give me trouble. And guys like uh, Wildman Willie, I don't know if you remember, he played for the Eagles. God damn it, that guy must have threw me around like a play of baseball. And then, uh, you know, I go back to in the shell. I said, Jesus, I can't make, I can't block this guy. And he wasn't that big. And so I took everything down. And I used to write it down, you know, assets this guy had and what, how good he can, was doing this or doing that, what hurt me the most. And I, I practiced stuff that uh, would help me against guys like them. Yeah, because uh, he's fast, and I had to neutralize his speed. So that's what I did. And, uh, and everybody else, uh, I played against Don Joyce. Okay, so, uh, you know, uh, he was uh, easy. And why was he easy? Because he just, he just tried to bowl me over. So I would just grab on and ride him on. He wouldn't give me no moves. The guys that gave me moves uh, were, tr were trouble. And so when I went to back to defensive end, I tried to give everybody or learn new moves and uh, study the films and see what, you know, what would help me. Now, you were in the 58 championship game. What do you think when you hear people say it was the greatest game ever played? Be honest? Mm -hmm. Because uh, it wasn't the greatest game ever played. What I thought, and I, I still think, and every time, you know, we go to ball. I go to Baltimore a lot because I really loved the fans there. It was really great fun and everything. So charitable events, you know, I don't get my car. I don't go down. Question I always ask about the 58 team. Nobody ever talks about the 59 team. If we won the championship, nobody ever mentions that. It's always about the 58, the 58, uh, 8 team. And, and uh, you asked the question, you know, I, uh, I think what it was, the most important game, that's what I call it. I said, that's probably the most important game ever played in NFL. Not the greatest football game, but the, great, uh, the most important game. Uh, it was the first. Now, 
national championship game, the first national championship game that was televised, and most of all, you probably know this, it was played in New York. If that, if that game would have played in Baltimore, they might not have forgotten, they might put, push it back and put the 59 game ahead. Mm. We were much better in that 59 game, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people say it was, you know, it was kind of a sloppy game. and It was sloppy. So. Gifford fumbled two or three times. Uh, uh, Webster picked up one of our, uh, one of our fumble, and Kaiser ran it down to the one yard. It wouldn't have scored. Yeah, and it wouldn't have scored. They scored, the, uh, and then Weave gets smart and decides to throw a ball. It 21 to nothing, but it didn't. I ended up making it 14 to uh, 7. Now, I know that you were injured in the, the fourth quarter of that game and you stayed on the sidelines. Why didn't you go into the uh, the locker room in overtime? Well, because, you know, I played on such shitty teams. <laughs> it was so much fun uh, to be out there. And, uh, you know, I said, hell, I said, I may never get here again. Yeah. And I want to join to see how they lose or how they win. You know, I, you know, I wanted to see that, you know, to experience that. And, uh, and they wouldn't let me. They let me see the over, overtime game, but, but then it says uh, in a sudden death, uh, they put me in a stretcher and walked me all the way around to the other side of the field, right across from our, 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 our bench. And I told these guys, I said, hey, put me down. I'm going to see this game. So I seen the kickoff and another play. Next thing you know, I got four or five policemen around me, a crowd around me, and they, they took me in. I, and I was, you know, a little upset. And I says, Jesus, why? I ain't hurt nobody, you know, and all that bullshit. Uh, but they said, that much just probably was true. He says, you know, you, you just think of it. If, they, if the Colts win, and, and, and it's on sudden death. The fans, we had probably as many fans in there as, as New York did. Well, you know, we'll never get you off the field. You know, they were probably right. The play that, that saved us, and I don't know, I still don't understand that, uh, why they decided to run this play on me. They usually leave me alone on, sw on sweeps because I can get out there pretty good and that's really not my responsibility the way they they, uh, they uh, draw up the defensive plans so you know and uh, it, was, uh, it was a minute and 10 seconds I forget how long I mean, if, they, if they make a first down the, the, the Giants got two decisions if they punt it Okay, that gives us a chance. And if they don't punt it, and they don't make the first down, that really gives us a chance. And that really gave John and Raymond Berry the time that they need, position on the field. And uh, so they decided not to kick it. But anyway, when they were going around, you know, I happened to be there and uh, made the tackle. And then Big Daddy uh, comes across, and uh, he don't want the guy to go an inch further, so he 
also broke my ankle. It was a guy, it was a guy on my own team that broke it. Yeah, the big daddy fell on you, right? Yeah. So anyway, uh, Frank Gifford said, get up, Mark Kitty, goddammit, uh, you know, the play's over. <laughs> get up, get up. And I said, hey, hey, Frank, I can't get up, I can't walk. Yeah. And I couldn't, you know, and he says, and then he, every time I see him, he tells me he made the first down. He says, you know, I want you to know something. You get a lot of play on that first down. But I made it. He made it. And uh, it's just true. They proved it by mathematics. I don't know how they proved it, but they took us to, to, to New York and showed us how they they proved it by where he started and how he landed. And, yeah, I did a hell of a job. So every time, you know what I do? Every time he says about a, that he made the first down, you know what I tell him? Hey. Who got the ring? <laughs> and that would do it, right? Shut up. That shuts him up pretty quick. But you're right. That, that, that wasn't, uh, you know, uh, anybody's honest. Uh, they like to say it's the greatest game, but it wasn't. Now, in 65, uh, you were out for the season. Uh, were you out due to an injury? Or? No. I, uh, I had uh, wanted to retire the year before because I was starting the restaurant. Uh, we started
they talked me into it, so I went back and, and I played. But, yeah, but I, didn't, I played early, but then what happened, the fans got so involved, you know, they should let, let him retire, let him retire. He's done enough for Baltimore, you know. Guy John Stedman kept writing about, you know, all that we have for this week stay tuned to our social media channels to stay up to date on our episodes you can find the links on the main page of this podcast thank you for listening to the official football learning academy podcast to learn more about the fla go to our website at www.football-learning-academy.com Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.